Well, I think more than anything, at this time when the idea of democracy is is under assault, South Africa shows us that it's still a really promising and probably our best political solution, particularly in diverse societies. Right, you know, the whole the whole world is becoming more and more diverse. Right, we're all moving all around the globe. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. As countries around the world, including the U.S., confront rising authoritarianism, one country may offer insight into how a democracy can triumph over minority rule. South Africa was supposed to go up in flames when Nelson Mandela became president in 1994. Whites feared that the black majority would take its revenge on those who oppressed them for so long. Instead, Mandela oversaw a peaceful transition to democracy. A quarter of a century after that negotiated transfer of power, a multiracial democracy took root and has blossomed on the tip of Africa. I witnessed this remarkable democratic transformation when I lived in South Africa in the late 1990s and wrote a book about it. So I was especially interested to read a new book about South Africa titled Until We Have Won Our Liberty, South Africa After Apartheid, by MIT political science professor Evan Lieberman. I spoke to Lieberman and began by asking him what drew him to want to study South Africa. I've been thinking about and studying South Africa for practically my my whole life. I would say my adult life, but it's even more than that. I was a, a teenager uh, growing up in, in New York City in the 1980s when, first of all, New York City itself was a racially divided place. Um, but I was beginning to read about and hear about apartheid South Africa, which just seemed like you know the the, the epitome of of wrong. Um, it was you know it gave a lot of moral clarity to to young people that this is just an object of of you know interest because it was it was so it was so unjust and um i went on to college and it was during that time that that you know apartheid came to an end um that you know uh, fw de Klerk, the the last white president of south africa basically declared he's going to release nelson mandela and and end apartheid and i took a class on south africa and traveled there in 1991 and my eyes were just open this is this beautiful fascinating diverse country um that has so many problems that remind me of the problems we have in the u.s but sometimes it's easier to look at and understand problems and challenges as an outsider rather than as an insider um and so i i went and i spent some time there and i was just captivated um and and i stayed captivated I uh, spent a couple of years in management consulting after after being an undergraduate, but I said, you know, I, I need to go back to studying politics and democratization and and this and this place, South Africa. And so I, I ended up spending a lot of my career. It's not the only place I've worked on, and I've worked on a lot of other issues. But um, you know, as the as the 25th anniversary of uh, Mandela's election approached, I thought to myself, gosh, you know this place that has so captured my imagination for so long, I want to, I want to take stock of it. 
And so I decided to write this book. Well, I completely relate to the the thrill of uh, your experience of being thrilled there, because as an American, one of the things, um, you know, in our politics, things move in tiny increments. You know, the difference between, prior to Trump, the difference between Republicans and Democrats was really shades of gray. Um, uh, one wanted a little more of something, one wanted a little bit less, but they agreed on everything else. And in South Africa, it was like three-dimensional psychedelic. They were talking about rewriting a democratic constitution in the modern era. What should a democracy look like in the modern era after centuries of you know, um, trial and error everywhere else? Um, so I'm curious, and you ask at the beginning of your book, did South Africa make good on the dreams of a democratic, non-racial society? Did it? You know, if you talk to the average South African, they will say no today. And if you talk to lots of commentators in South Africa who are focused on the politics of today, I think they will also say no. But the answer I give in the book pretty resoundingly is yes. And I don't just mean to be contrarian. Um, it's, it's because I think as an outsider, I'm, I'm able to take a bit of a long view and a comparative view. And, you know, when you think about how things were in that country in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and they were at a point of, you know, existential crisis, you know, really a civil war. People didn't think they could possibly live together or make a peaceful society together. And they really have done it. You know, they've really done it. They've created a functioning democracy. It may not last forever. It might not last one more year. I'm not, you know, I don't know what the future will bring, but certainly from the perspective of the first 25 years, I think they've really done it. And it's been, you know, it, it, if you say, if you go back in time to what they could have wished for, I mean, obviously they didn't achieve every single thing that they might have liked to have done in 25 years, which, which after all, isn't that much time. But in those 25 years, they've made a functioning democracy and they've made a relatively stable society. So for me, it's a success. And I don't think you can overstate how unlikely that success is when you look at the continent you look at it some of its neighboring states that have struggled most notably zimbabwe next on its northern border where you know the promise of a democratic transition which everyone hoped for when robert mugabe became president in 1980 foundered on you know his kind of narcissistic megalomaniac kleptocratic uh, instincts, uh, not to mention violent. So, and you know, when I was there, the failure of South African democracy was sort of the proposition that white South Africans before Mandela based apartheid on, you know, it's never going to work. You know, look at Mozambique, look at Zimbabwe, yada, yada. So you're saying you found something different. And I, I also had the experience that South Africans themselves are much more downbeat on, on their successes than those of us coming from the outside. Um, 
what do you look at as the singular, uh, you know, as the example you point to for what worked? Um, well, first, let me just say, you know, I, I think you're you're exactly right in in the way in which we need to think about this success and how, frankly, white Americans often hear about the South African story. You know, frankly, we tend to have the easiest access to many white South Africans. They're the ones who tend to have the the, the resources to come to the United States to to be able to tell the story, and they they often point to you know, ah, Zimbabwe, ah, South Africa, go the, the, the way of, of um, you know, many other African democracies. And there's a kind of, you know, frankly, racist logic to it. Like, you know, black, black Africans couldn't possibly manage a, a democracy. And, you know, I, I think they've, many of them have figured out more polite ways of saying it. Um, but, but it's true that there are some really, you know, bad examples and, and as you say, Zimbabwe was the one that is really the specter of Zimbabwe loomed large because it was it had an apartheid system like South Africa's and and it it kind of you know really collapsed under Mugabe's greed. And so that that loomed large and, and, and some South Africans have, you know, white South Africans have, have already begun to say we're, we're basically like Zimbabwe. And that just couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, Zimbabwe is truly a collapsed state. The currency is a you know, complete disaster. You know, I, I like to show my students my $100 trillion Zimbabwe notes because, you know, they're, they're worthless. You had to barter, you know, things uh, 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 really collapse. And so, you know, what are the telltale signs that, that South Africa has been a, a more successful democracy. Well, you know, they've had all, you know, over 10 free and fair election, multi-party, multi-racial elections. So they have, you know, elections, the one that I focus in on in, in the book is for the national and provincial governments. Um, and, you know, they've had those about every five years since 1994. Um, you know, really, no one has made any. Uh, unlike here in the United States, where we're, you know, still having a ridiculous debate about whether our last election was valid, there's been, you know, no such debates like that in South Africa. And then very meaningful local level elections, which which are really important in a society in which now there's a lot of diversity within, you know, towns and localities. And so these have been. Um, again, you know, we can take take this for granted, but they're so important. You know, everyone from across the racial, economic, and other spectrum goes goes in uh, to the voting booths, chooses the parties. Is mostly the case in South African elections, and you know, the results have been respected, and you know, there have been some transfers of power, at least at the local and provincial level, and the competition is meaningful. And, and there are months of discussions and debate around what are the major issues of the day, and it's quite civil, right? You know, you, you can make these you could make these decisions with guns, or you can do it with ballots, and they're doing it, you know, mostly with ballots. I want to ask about the figure of Nelson Mandela. Um, you know, I had the privilege of living and reporting in South Africa while in the five years that Mandela was president, ninety four to ninety nine. And one of the things that I saw was that here was a man who had been in prison for 27 and a half years, 
suffered greatly. And if he didn't complain, if he didn't want revenge, then no one else could. And it, in the time I was there, it was a powerful kind of corrective in keeping a lid on the justifiable fury that so many black South Africans felt. But you now have the longer view. What do you think has been the lasting um, contribution of Mandela's leadership in South Africa? Well, I think that generosity of spirit, that willingness, you know, you know, maybe more than anything to not exact revenge, to make that choice that although we need to look at the past, right? No, no one, no one can forget the past in South Africa. It lives with South Africans every day when you see the, 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 the structure of the built environment the inequalities and so, and some positive things the, the quality of the infrastructure but but the, the past is baked into society um but that decision that we are not going to settle this with just a violent reprisal um is so important because i'll tell you in my book i focus in on this one municipality which was uh you know Called, it's called Mahali City Local Municipality. It's centered around the old mining town of Krugersdorf. A lot of white Afrikaners who are you know, quite committed to the apartheid project, um, lived there, prospered there under the old system, were not happy about the change. And I surveyed a lot of them and asked them to reflect on, you know, what were you thinking about? Okay, what were your hopes and fears and dreams, you know, around the time of that election in 1994. And so many of them said, we were sure that the black Africans would exact revenge on us. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I should powerful. tell you, they, they had a very specific image in mind when I was there. And that was that in Liberia, a newly a dictator who had come to power in a coup, Samuel Doe, began his reign by lining up his predecessors on the beach and shooting them. And I, so many South Africans said to me, that's what they're going to do to us. And they believed it. Yeah. And, and so when you ask, when, when someone asks me, you know, how is South Africa, how can you say that South Africa is successful? We have all these problems. I say to them, and, and you know, people don't necessarily like this answer. Look at what happened in Rwanda. Look at what happened in Yugoslavia. Um, you know, examples of genocide and mass civil war following, you know, regime changes really happened. And one and people were expecting it in South Africa. So the fact that that didn't happen really needs to be considered part of this success story. We're talking at a moment that authoritarianism is gaining a foothold in the United States and in many places in Europe and around the world. So many authoritarian figures, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Modi in India, Orban in Hungary, not to mention Trump in the U.S. Um, what about South Africa? How is it dealing with these force anti-democratic impulses that have really taken over in other places? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, that's that's part of the success story. 
is that I think that at, at least to date, we haven't seen that happen. Now, the, the president prior to the current one, Cyril Ramaphosa, um, Jacob Zuma, was, was certainly something of a populist um, in that, um, you know, he, here was someone who, who took it something of an anti-elite posture, um, you know, came up with some crazy ideas and, and certainly, uh, you know, whether or not we even want to call him a, a populist, uh, you know, I think more importantly, he was just a, a poor president um, and, and wasn't functioning, um, you know, with the highest regards for, for the public interest, but more for his own private interest. Um, but, but what I think is amazing with respect to him is how his power was constrained by due process, um, by the media. He was never able to curb the media, though he would have liked to. He, um, you know, the fact that he, he took public money for his own private gain was pointed out in court. He had to pay back money, take out a mortgage in order to pay back the money. Um, you know, some people say, well, why, you know, more should have happened to him. Like wow, you know, nowhere else in the world, you know, are leaders held accountable like this. And he even, you know, spent a little bit of time in in prison. Um, now, again, I think there are some populist impulses for sure on both the, the left and the right in South Africa, and and there's no telling what the future may bring. But I think that their system of proportional representation, um, and at least for the moment. Uh, a general consensus around having, um, you know, a, a, a pragmatic uh, a leader who can reconcile the, the different interests in South Africa has been successful. One of the things that I was very focused on in my time there was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was really kind of a deal with the devil. South Africa's new and relatively weak judiciary, uh, you know, the, the, the fundamental question was, what do you do about all the bad things that happened in the past? You're at this inflection point in your history. Do you just go on and say, forgive and forget? Do you try them all and use conventional Western justice? Uh, they tried that. And it failed quite spectacularly against some of the big fish, the, the heads of the defense force and the police. And so they came up with this other approach. Tell the truth. Let's come up with a consensus about our history and we can move forward. Um, what do you think? How did that deal work out for them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's, it's hard to answer. Um, I'm a, as, a, as a political scientist, right, we're, we're used to trying to look look at evidence and, you know, what would be the ideal? Well, you might randomize different approaches to something and see the outcomes in different places. And of course, we can't do that with this. Um, I was also in South Africa at that time. I remember my, my wife and I used to watch, you know, each week, uh, Max Dupree's would, would, would host this show on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and you know, it would bring highlights of the various, um, you know, hearings from each week. And I sat in on a few of them myself. And as you say, you covered them, so I'm sure you agree. These were gripping, honest, emotional tales. Incredible, yes, incredible, Visceral. right? But they did end 
with often with you know victims hugging the people who had perpetrated these grave crimes and you know not everyone but wanting to reconcile the past and 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 to move on now there is lots of resentment and today again i think when you ask the average south africa and who is old enough to remember it they they do not look back with rose colored glasses they think it was a waste of time you know there wasn't you know for for white south africans you know this was a you know a, a you know kangaroo court or something you know they 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 don't think it was a very serious undertaking not all right i mean i think there's a diversity of opinions but from a lot of black south africans who continue to see so much inequality today um they think it wasn't enough and you know it's i i understand those perspectives but when i look back and, and as you just did think about well what are the other alternatives you know do you stick a needle in someone's eye you know people you know in, in the white people's eye you know would south africa be better off if white south africans were you know all gone i don't think so i don't think so i think that they continue to contribute to society you know productively there's a lot of human capital and skills that they bring um and better to work you know again I mean, i'm an old fashioned kind of liberal in this way um but i i think that that reconciliation um was was helpful in getting past that moment and and a lot of good came of it one of the things that was evident to me in the early part of this, and I'm, I keep asking you to fill us in from, you know, where I left off, but was that there was a political transfer of power, but not an economic transfer of power in South Africa. Whites were still, by and large, the middle and upper classes, and blacks were still poor. How has that evolved in the 30 years since Mandela was president. Yeah, it, it really has evolved. I mean, it, it, inequality in the country remains about as high as anywhere in the world, right? So let, let's be clear about that. Um, and, and that's problematic, but inequality around the world has increased overall, including in the United States, as we know. But the, but the big question of you know that you're asking about race-based inequality well that's really changed um because first of all there is a you know really a quite large black middle class millions of black south africans have you know gone on through education through you know access to new jobs through you know increased mobility they were constrained in so many ways by that apartheid system and the transition you know, including through government jobs, has allowed millions of South Africans to have the levels of income and lifestyle that allows them to do things that make life fun and enjoyable and, and rewarding and challenging. Um, and to have dreams of sending children to go on to tertiary education, etc. Plus, certainly you have you know, a, a small share of Black South Africans, including the current president, who've gone on to, you know, be at the heads of large corporations and make tons and tons of money. Um, now that has contributed to the inequality. So as many white South Africans, you know, will, will point out, frankly, correctly, now what you have is huge inequality, you know, within, you know, black South Africa. 
Um, and it's not just a, it's not just about race. However, of course, most you know there is a you know very large impoverished part of the population, and that is virtually all people of color. So race still matters, but but it's certainly there's been a, a lot of shifting in the distribution of income and wealth. What do you think the rest of the world can learn from South Africa? Well, I think more than anything, at this time when the idea of democracy is is under assault, South Africa shows us that it's still a really promising and probably our best political solution, particularly in diverse societies, right? You know, the, whole, the whole world is becoming more and more diverse, right? We're all moving all around the globe. This old idea, and frankly, the idea that apartheid was founded on, that, that you know, government should be built you know, for a people, right? For a, for a homogeneous people has been thrown into complete you know, disarray, and, and we may never again have that because there's so much movement of people. So then the question is, how do we solve the problem of political order that we need? How do we have government so we can collectively improve our lives and figure out how to cooperate? And, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of attraction to the China model, right? I've seen Jeff Sachs come out, you know, this famous economist and point out, look at how fantastic things are in China with all this rapid economic growth. Uh, well, you know, those of us who, who, who care about some other issues apart, you know, not just economic growth will say, yeah, well, it looks like, you know, millions of people are being suppressed. They can't speak freely. If you're the wrong ethnicity and practicing your ethnic, you're, you're going to be completely su suppressed, repressed and treated with violence. That doesn't seem like a particularly attractive way to govern. So South Africa has offered, it's messy, it's not perfect, but that this form of government of, you know, a particular, you know, a, a rights-oriented democracy really is a viable solution. And I think if they can do it, given as you and I can both agree, things seem so improbably, you know, that uh, uh, so set up for failure that they can have the success that they've managed under this system of government doesn't mean it will work everywhere, but it, it really offers a promising reminder that we can solve our problems through a combination of elections, good institutions, deliberation, um, and, and, and a public spiritedness that I think um, is intrinsic to democratic practice. Well, Evan Lieberman, I wanna thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks. It's been great to speak with you today.